sent to Earth from the darkest depths of space to fight crimes and talk about the subjects not many men dare to go. With faces only a blind mother could love, arms like a silverback gorilla, and more hair on their chest than something really, really hairy. Like really hairy. Prepare to be astounded and bedazzled by the wondrous voices of your two hosts, GK and F. Stand by for a live broadcast. How interweb. <laughs> yes. Welcome to GKNF episode 16, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. <laughs> hey, before we, before we get started, we've got to do a big shout out to uh, the intro you would have just heard, uh, which was performed by Strangers, but the, uh, the vocal performance was Dave Smith, so shout out to Dave Smith, you talented, talented cat. And speaking of talent... Yeah, today, James Nottingale, independent filmmaker... Fresh off uh, a debut uh, short documentary at Melbourne and an award winner. Uh, the film was called Breaking Ice. He's got a couple of other irons in the fire as well as being a representative for his uh, native Papua New Guinea in rugby league. James Hi. Nightingale, welcome. G'day boys, thanks for having me. Dude, I, uh, I uh, jumped online on social media the other day. First thing I saw was that uh, Breaking Ice, the short film... Uh, that you made documentary style. You uh, had won an, won an award at its, the first uh, film festival you put it out at. That's, that's exciting stuff, dude. Awesome. Yeah, dude, we were pretty chuffed. Um, we you know, made the film a couple of years ago just uh, because you know, it was a pertinent issue that we felt we wanted to tackle. Mm-hmm. And um, once we made the film, we obviously wanted to get it out there and, and put it into festivals and uh, we got picked up by the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which we were pretty stoked to be a part of it, and then um, went down for the screening and, and ended up taking out the Best Australian Short, um, and we were super stoked, absolutely super stoked. Oh, yeah. man, so, that is so good. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, because especially, like, starting out as a filmmaker, I mean, you need that affirmation. You need to affirm, yes, I've actually got game here, and, and this award proves it. Like, I think there's a future here. That's like that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing, I mean, just to be a part of the festival was awesome. But I think you're right there, far in just um, knowing that we did the uh, the story justice, I suppose, and um, people can see the ability that we had. Um, you know, that was the best part about it for sure. So the documentary that we're talking about is Breaking Ice. It's about, uh, I guess, uh, is it follow one particular person on their sort of grips of and tribulations and trials through addiction of methamphetamine, I'm guessing, obviously? Yeah, it does, mate. It, it pretty much came about uh, during a time I was living in central Queensland and I was kind of surrounded by this drug ice and I was looking for a project, so I sort of took it on. And um, not long after I started my research, I met John, who was my subject, mm-hmm. and he was pretty keen to tell his story. So we, um, we started the ball rolling and we... Um, we just went about telling his story and went, told a story from him being a normal kid, playing footy like everyone else does, uh, to becoming a drug addict of 15 years, and he was completely dependent on it, and to then trying to get rid of it. And if he could live a life um, separate to the drug, um, completely drug-free and be happy, not just be drug-free, but be able to have a fulfilling life. And it was a huge battle for him. Still is a huge battle for him. He has to battle it every day. So was he in the grips of addiction while you're filming? No, he was in the out of it then, but he wasn't. Wait, he wasn't out of the woods by any stretch. Mm. Um, so he's relapsed um, a couple of times, from what I know. Um, but he, he, at that point, he understood uh, that he had a problem, which was a big deal. And so that was the story. The story is just pretty much his uh, his life getting to the point where he could uh, get himself. Uh, the help he needed, mm-hmm. and he's putting that in in um, into practice, and we just pretty much captured that and uh, try to sh- try to share it as much as possible. So, so you're saying when you was it, when you're up at was it Glads- Gladstone area when you're living up that way in Queensland? That's uh, so it's pretty prevalent. Yeah. Up in sort of, I, I know it's they say it's I don't know it's prevalent everywhere, but in country rural sort of areas, it's pretty pretty prevalent. And did you know? your subject from being around town up there or yeah well he's uh john uh grew up in victoria but he was working up there um not long before uh he was there at the same time but i met him after he'd left basically through doing the film but through mutual contacts but yeah it seems to be really big in country areas um i think because i don't know whether it's um you know young people um a boredom thing possibly Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's a lot of um you know facts and figures behind it all but um it tends to 
really hit um, people in country areas. And, and that's sort of why the, the idea came about was because um, I noticed a lot of my own mates talking about it like they were going for a beer. And I thought, you know, there's got to be more to this story than... I had that conversation with Far not too long ago, sort of, and that's what I said. It's becoming like young people coming, sort of, probably the I don't know if it's a generation under us or whatever, but it was as it was as common as having a beer, or I guess back in the day, like going out and you might have like the the people might go on festivals, and you might have a, a a pill or some ecstasy or something. That was sort of that's how sort of ice is nearly. Meth is talked about and used as a recreational drug. Really? And I've, yeah. Yeah. What do yeah. you mean? Like, uh, like, if you go down to, well, let's pick sort of any night spot on a Friday night, there'll be yeah. young girls, guys that will smoke dice, be on ice to go out, and that's their that's no their drug way. of choice. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's just because because I'm I'm hearing, I guess you know the the way it's reported in the, in the media. It's like it sounds if you have it once, it's. You know, you're, you're hooked. Like, it, sound, it sounds like it must be really, really addictive. But, yeah, I, just, yeah, but it, I haven't really looked into it myself. You, you're obviously doing the studies for the film. It's sort of, for for me, it's looked at, I look at it like a sort of, I guess, one of those those sort of more dirty drugs, like a heroin, your meths, like that. But it's looked at as, it's a party drug. That's yeah. that's how people well, sort it's, of it's treat it. it's got to that point. And I think um, that's what John really wanted to push the message from himself saying, you know, when he was a kid, people used to pass a uh, marijuana joint. Yeah, joint you know, people passing pipes around. It's, yeah. you know, it's ridiculous. And, Jeez. you know, I've, there's reports of, um, you know, girls smoking to lose weight. That's how bad it's yeah. getting. And, and they don't see the repercussions of it. Um, and then people get to the point and the, the basis of the film that we really wanted to um, touch on was these people have become so dependent on it and they, they don't see the way out. And, um, you know, it's it's taken lives. It's, um, you know, six months ago, um, it, it cost the life of a dear friend. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, I was sort of pushing the film a little bit. But as soon as it happened, I was like, this needs to be get out Balls because yeah. um, not so much that people don't do it, but more because people who have uh, been in it and feel like they can't get out, yeah. they need to find that light at the end of yeah, the tunnel. There's a way, there's a way through it. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be a way. And then obviously then getting picked up by this, uh, fest- the festival down in Melbourne, has then that opened doors for other film festivals sort of around the country, the world and stuff, especially now it sort of won Best Short Documentary? Yeah, it, it does. It certainly opened up a lot of doors. Uh, um, a lot of doors, so we it gives us a boost as well, confidence wise. And we, um, you know, we've got another film in the process, but we will keep pushing, breaking ice, and see how far that can go. That message, mm-hmm. uh, but it just creates a network for us, and it just um, gives us a little nudge. And you know, when we go to new festivals and we go to um, you know potential uh, sponsors for another film, or we go to other networks, we can say, you know, this is what we've, done yeah, we've got this behind us. So there's something to something to show rather than us just knocking on a door and saying, hey, you want, you want to make a film? Yeah. Invest some money in this Mister, film. Mister, yeah. we need your money. Yeah. Selling cookies. <laughs> that must be one of the hardest things as an independent filmmaker getting funding behind anything that you do. So hard. I mean, you know, you guys would know with music, it's it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, you got to have that driving passion behind it. And at the start, that's all you can show people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you do get an award and you get um, some runs on the board, people say, okay, there's somebody else. It tends to be somebody else who's recognised them. They're like, oh, somebody else recognised these people. Yeah, they may okay. be worth our time. Now it's, you know? worth, yeah, now it's worth us so, paying attention. So it's just about, I think, um, keeping that ball rolling so more people recognise us. Hopefully we get into more festivals and then that will just hopefully snowball. So, so how's it, how, how did... Obviously, on, we've known you since uh, like school age, and you were a rugby league player. Did this? You, I guess you went off track of the normal sort of jock or whatever in air quotes. Fucking this is what this is what this is what, a, this is what a, you know a jock's supposed to do. And you've gone down on a journalism, and then obviously had a passion for film. And what? How do you how do you start to that? Do you start being you know? A, What's the best boy or something doing a gaffer running around? Yeah, and- the, the way into it is to be a runner. That's the entry-level gig. What's a runner, dude? So a runner is a shit kicker, let's be honest. Yeah. Empty bins and get coffees and uh, yeah. do whatever you're told. And honestly, my first running gig was unpaid mm-hmm. and I loved it. I did it for a month and I just wanted to do it every day of my life. You just like enjoyed the new surroundings, the new environment? I was, I was on set. And I just couldn't get enough of it. Lit a fire in my belly that has not gone out yet. So, oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was a really. Um, it just come down to a passion. I was, 
I was kind of on the right ball when I was when I started journalism. I mean, there was a media thing there, mm. but mm. I think there was a, uh, with footy, I sort of didn't pay too much attention to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit confusing when I was younger. I was like, you know, do I be a footy player or do I be a journalist? You know, two yeah. different lives. And do I, do I follow then this passion that I found yeah. that's not even paying any bills? And then the I, end up, I end up writing a story on myself and put myself in prison. <laughs> <or something. laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what do you um what do you get your inspiration for your new idea? So after this one, you know, you get a bit of confidence, you've won the award, you're like, all right, look, I'm gonna sink my teeth into something. Do you have anything that you can share at the moment? Yes, for sure. Yeah, look, ideas are always floating about. Yeah. Um I think my girlfriend will uh, attest to the fact that I'm a huge daydreamer. Um I daydream daily actually. <laughs> um some ideas will just flow in and out, other ideas I'll get a pen and paper and just have to write them down. Mm-hmm. Um but the next film that we're really pushing on is a little bit time pressure. So we're um, working on a documentary uh, based around the Japanese invasion of Papua New Guinea. Um, yeah. So you guys would be familiar with a few campaigns such as Kakarota yeah. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, our film sort of tackles the earlier stages of that invasion and the fact that um, the original battalion there were there without any ammunition and training and... Um, they were sitting ducks, basically, and got annihilated. And uh, we spoke to uh, a soldier called Norm Furness recently, and he's 95 years old. Um, so we needed to speak to them pretty quickly. And the other half of it is a civilian account, which is based around my own grandmother, uh, who's nearly 90 herself. So we're, that's sort of what we're working on at the moment. Um, it's in the process. It's tough. It's, um, you know, trying to get to Papua New Guinea and raise funds to, you know, we shot in Melbourne, going to shoot in Sydney soon and hopefully next year get to Papua New Guinea at some stage and then putting it all into post and yeah. um, getting yeah. archive footage and the rest of it's pretty tough. So. Well, is it is another, like, a short sort of similar to Breaking Ice or is this a, a feature-length or a full-length documentary? or it's we, We're going to see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we were originally aiming for a short, so maybe like 20 minutes. Yep. But um, I think the subject's too big for that, um, which is a huge challenge for us because we've only, I mean, we're one film in, we're one short film into our, you know, portfolio, I guess, and we're trying to take on a pretty big project. But um, um, we're getting support so far. We've got support from the the War Memorial in Canberra and, and a oh, few historians. Great. So the people around us are backing us already. Is there X amount of dollars that the government... Grants, grant money. Yeah, yeah, grant money. That's yeah, they do. They, they. I think they have to have a certain amount that they give grants yeah. um, and whatnot. But um, so I know Screen Australia just cut back on entry level grants, which everybody's blowing up about. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, we if we can get that, would be awesome. Mm. But we don't really want to rely on that. Um, yeah, we want to try to be able to um, because at the end of the day, it, it could possibly not come about anyway. So yeah, we will try to get it if we can but if not um, we just keep chugging along and mm. just trying to get things to happen so is it we like is it your production company is it so a- we consists of myself and my producing partner Benny Mix Mix Media Productions little shout out uh, he's in Melbourne yep um, and Mark Harrison who shot um, he was the uh, DOP on Breaking Ice he will be shooting again for uh, Hostages of Fortune the new film's called oh no so um, and good. did you say DOP Director of photography. photography, So the cinematographer, basically. Um, So, yeah, it's just a collective of, you know, three or four of us that, um, um, I don't know, we just try to find projects and and we get them done, hopefully. So So how do you find this this one on the new one you're working on? How do you find that subject matter or that that story? I know you talk about your grandmother's involved in it. Is that the story passed down that you you were hearing sort of growing up? Yeah, it's funny. We... um, it kind of uh, evolves the story, I suppose, but it originally started, you know, when I was 16 and I, I wanted to document my nan's story um, because I knew she had, you know, suffered, you know, pretty tragic circumstances throughout the war. So she was a civilian uh, in Papua New Guinea during the war. And I got to a point now where I'm able to make a story, make a film about her life. Probably about six months ago, I started researching almost instantly as soon as i started researching the whole thing just blew out straight away it's like there's way more than to this story than i realized mm-hmm. and i had to I had to do it i had to um I, I don't think i'd be doing the story justice if i just focused on one person mm-hmm. um so straight away there was these military accounts and whatnot and i had a couple of chats with a few historians and they're like yeah this went on this went on this is why 
these people were, this is why this happened, blah, blah, blah. And um, so I'm just trying to trying to get a few stories and put it into a linear film, which yeah. is the battle, which is the hard bit. Um, but it slowly comes together. It's a process. So is it a great unknown story of, of the the war, is it, basically? You know what? It, it, it is kind of. It's... It was wasn't public knowledge until a few years after the war, but even to this day, it's um, not common knowledge. So it's it's basically, you know, the guys that were sent to Papua New Guinea originally were there to show a, uh, uh, you know, show that Australia had a bit of force in New Guinea. Sort of stop the Japanese from pretty much invading, you know. Yeah. So intelligence had some idea that the Japanese were coming in. Um, and they had some troops in New Guinea, but they were just way undermanned, way under, um, you know, had no ammo. They used to practice shooting the mail planes with sticks. And then next minute, a whole fleet of Japanese come in and absolutely annihilated with, them. With yes. real bullets. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, we spoke to, um, so the original battalion was Lark Force. And there's one, there's two guys uh, still alive from that original battalion. And we had a chat to uh, Norm, who was one of them. And his story's incredible. Uh, and he got teary and he got upset, and which was great for a film, but, you know, such a such a story that I think, you know, hasn't really had the recognition that it deserves. That's crazy war when you, when you think about, like, everyday people just turning into killers. Especially back yeah. then because it wasn't... It was everyday people. Yeah. Like back in the they're first... They're recruiting first anyone. Of, yeah, they're yeah. recruiting people... Like you don't have you have you don't have the training like you, you're shooting with sticks at planes yeah like in this case like you're not a trained uh a, tra- a trained i guess uh, soldier so yeah soldier <laughs> exactly to go to war um could you how crazy that would be like they had you know conscription where it's wasn't it one where they they'll just pull someone's birth date birthdays and read it over the radio and then you got to go yeah. go join like what the hell? Yeah, what? it's insane. It's, it's. I mean, and even asking Norm about how he felt about the Japanese, he was like, well, you know, I don't, he goes, I don't do a cartwheel for him, but he said, you know, they were just doing their bit for their country. Yeah, they were doing the same. They're just yeah. pawns in a political chess game, more yeah. or less. Yeah. And um, it just seems to be really different these days. And he even said he, he worries about the way things go with, you know, the world these days. And it seems to be a bit... I mean, like, war's war, but there seemed to be a bit more of a gentleman attitude towards each other. Back, back, back yeah, then? Yeah, yeah, it seemed yeah. to be, you know. These are sort of just a free-for-all these days, it seems, mm. though. Um, it's when, especially today's war, you're not fighting necessarily like a, an army versus an army that are both put there to do a job for their respective nations, whatever it might be. You're fighting people from militants and guerrilla groups yeah. and stuff like that. So there's no... Like you said, there's no gentleman's sort of war agreement. Put our weapons down at uh, sort of eleven o'clock, and we won't pick them back up again until mm. the next the next day. And you know, we'll give you a couple of hours to go get your dead off the mm. the battlefield. Yeah, uh, there's none that doesn't. Mm. Well, yeah. from an outsider looking in at the news stories, mm. there's none of that shit happening in Syria and stuff like yeah. that. I wouldn't suggest. That's um, yeah, that's and and everyone who's fighting believes that they're fighting for the right cause. You know, they've had the right. The right propaganda has been spread. That's um yeah. I was listening. Um, it was a it, the French army. I can't remember which war it was, but they were, they introduced that whole triage system that you see at the hospital because triage triage is a French, French word, word for sort. And because what they were doing, the way the French uh, overcome um, one of the wars. I should actually, there's a computer in front of me, but we'll do that. Someone can fact check. <laughs> Vancouver, shout out to you. Um, yeah, so what they'll do, the, the way they'll make sure they win the war is because they were spending too much time with people who, you know, had, had kind of superficial wounds as opposed to people who were, like, literally dying. So the people who were dying were missing out on, on that, um, yeah, attention because someone, some, so what the, so the French <laughs> created a traffic light system of what your injury is. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to how, so based on how it, well you were treated or yeah. just get back out there, put a band aid on and go, yeah, um, you know, go back out there, cobber. Or they pull out the, you know, the spray bottle from when you play soccer and you pull <laughs> yeah. out that's the magic water. Yes, <laughs> oh, the magic water. That's a thing. I've, <laughs> I've seen six year old kids that are, I think, nearly dead. <laughs> And, and I'm I'm about to call in the like uh, the Medicare chopper to come in. They get a spray of some water. They're up and they score to try the next set of things. Uh, so that works. Tell you what, after our last punters trip, I needed some magic water. <laughs> hey, oh, I want to ask you a question. So now you're in films, right? And you, you're figuring out how how they're made. Is there? Here's an assumption I have. 
Um, so there must be someone's job to make sure that it, it looks great. So make sure we source where we can film. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, like any movie, location, The Dark Knight. A location scout. Is that what it is? A location yeah. scout? And Mate, it's, um, it's, it's like a huge... It's like a huge oiled machine with a, a thousand different little cogs that turn the wheel. Basically, that's what a that's what a crew is like. Depending wow. on the size of the production, well, mm-hmm. um, everybody has their part to play, and it's all imperative that they play their part. Otherwise, it falls to shit. Yeah. Um, so you got, um, you know, for bigger productions, you got location scouts, you got um, casting directors, and and whatnot. But so it's like based on the funding is how many. How big our crew is for starters? Yep, hundred yeah, percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment we have three people, so that's yeah. how big our funding is. Um, Ten bucks in my pocket. Um, yeah. But basically, uh, yeah, you get you have your um, people that scout the location, and then um, the production crew will take care of logistics. And um, you know, if they have to hire a place or if they get a place for free, keeping the people happy, whatnot. Yeah. And when you get in there, you get the lighting guys to set up the lightings and. Um, you have uh, what they call HOD, so heads of department. So you have the lighting guy, you have the um, head cameraman who's the uh, director of photography, and you uh, have yeah. the gaffers and they have all their guys underneath them and they'll give them orders to do stuff. And then they'll go off and give orders to people like the runners who have to empty bins like me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, essentially it's it's a collective of people who come in and, I don't know, put all their expertise expertise into a bucket and then mm-hmm. it creates a creates a film basically and so. and who's the head of is that like when it says producer is that the person who can actually he's an all-rounder he can play all the positions was he funding the film yeah well exactly producers will fund films and producers well producing is producing it basically like you um you know you'll um just make it happen producer will make the thing happen and then when it goes to shoot then the director's captain of the ship he will uh-huh. He has the creative intelligence and he will, um, you know, tell the cameraman where to point what he wants and the cameraman will tell him, yeah, oh, we can't do that. Let's do it this way. This might work a bit better. And then um, they collaborate that way and he would, like, you know, hopefully bring the film under budget and then you've got the execs sort of hanging over at the top. (laughs) And and then when it goes to the, I guess, is it the cutting room or whatever it is, is that the director doing that or is that producers or is that a team again putting the final edit together? Uh, depending on the budget again, but normally it's a completely different team. Yeah. So they will, so the director will be there. It's his job to be there. And uh, a lot of the time the cinematographer will be there too and they'll talk through with the colourist and, um, you know, the editors how they feel it needs to be cut. Um, but, I mean, even in TV, it's, you know, the story will be shot and then it'll go to a completely different editing mm. team and they'll yeah. tell a story that they see that, that the, it, with the vision they've been given. So, And these are like intelligent passionate like people like i mean incredibly intelligent people yeah yeah incredibly intelligent and they they i don't know have have the ability to be creative and just i don't know get things done it's yeah. insane insane that's i always come come back to this uh, analogy of like you know any band like you know motley crew like as they're recording the the track kickstart my heart did we mention that the other day that's going to be my go-to track but you know they'll go out and have a break and come back and listen to it and go that is the bit you know what i mean like that's the that's what I, that's what i love about creation right at the start it's not about when it goes out you obviously want people to watch it but it's that's that's the part that feeds your your yeah, hunger you know what i mean the bit where you know you've got something yeah good, you, i'm telling a good story i've written a good that's a good lick just yeah. there yeah and it's yeah, like the mm, high five i was like yeah. this is Did you see? um, Do you watch Game of Thrones? Dude, I don't. I'm Uh, probably the only person in Australia. Get the. (laughs) So, so in Game of Thrones. (laughs) So uh, when it started, there was a couple of families. uh... (laughs) Well, it all started with a wicked old queen. No. Um, but in, in Game of Thrones, they had uh, Ed Sheeran in there, so doing like a cameo. Yeah, I saw saw him, and I thought, uh, do you know what I thought about that? Bullshit. Like he's writing you this. I know Ed Sheeran's from now. He couldn't have existed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the best things about Game of Thrones and, and those good TV shows. I find that it's more when they've got the the actors that aren't so well known. So yeah. they're more believable. Yeah, that guy probably did wield a sword and, you know. Bake, he he bake looks like bread. he would have a sword. But it's weird. Like Ed Sheeran's there singing. Like, I was just waiting for him to pull out a Pepsi can. It was like so bloody commercialized. <laughs> That's what happens once uh, your shows get popular and funded and you can start uh, doing a bit more of that stuff. But, hey, Nighty, with um, with 
Oh, see, did, did you hear that drop going in the background there? Sounded very nice. We're drinking our Cockfighters Ghost today, which uh, <laughs> actually is from McLaren Vale 2014. Um, shout out to Cockfighters Ghost. I chose this because... You like the word cockfighter, didn't you? Had a picture of Brumby on it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, off uh, going back to sort of Papua New Guinea in general, when you first... You obviously... Background is from... PNG, but mm-hmm. you, your your mum, your mum was born there. Born PNG? Um, my nan was born there as well, but nan sort of you know come. My great grandparents sort of migrated from Indonesia, mm-hmm. but you know Papua New Guinea's been a part of our uh, life for you know all of it. Is all that, of that heart, another reason to tell that story? Because it's sort of in your- oh god, yeah, that's what I mean. Like it started as as a story, just telling my nan's um, piece of the war, and then as soon as I started researching, it, it, got it bigger, absolutely bigger. blew out, and it was just it would have been an injustice not to. Um, to tell the story of the of the soldiers who were you know trying to get away and you know under you know bloody constant fire from the Japanese aircrafts and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, Papua New Guinea's uh, certainly you know holds a dear place in my heart, and hopefully I can get back there again next year. So, for people that don't know, uh, you represented Papua New Guinea in rugby league at the sort of World Cup. Did you play the World? Did you go through the World Cup or I guess yeah, I did. Yeah, it's actually World Cup end of this year, but um, two thousand eight. So two thousand and seven. I um, played my first test match, debuted for my first test match in France uh, for Papua New Guinea, played a few games that year and then uh, lucky enough to um, be still fit the next year and um, represented again in the 2008 World Cup and we played in Australia and uh, that was phenomenal. Um, That's awesome. Some of the best memories I will have to this day, I think, will have for the rest of my life. Um, Just being able to play with those boys and be able to represent your heritage in front of your family is... Uh, something else and you know like the pride for myself was was um unbelievable but but seeing the pride in you know my parents and my brothers and my uncles yeah. you know when they would call me and uh, when I told my mum I made the side and you know she nearly started crying it's <laughs> absolutely fantastic what did you train over there like did you have to go to a training camp in PNG because all the stories I've heard about like any league player just gets mobbed over there and you you sort of walk out of Port Moresby you're, you're two steps off the aeroplane and you're only wearing your undies sort of they've, they won every vid- Mate, video um, we, <laughs> we played we played like a game uh, we had like our own origin so we played a, a game between guys who lived outside of New Guinea versus guys that lived inside of New Guinea and uh, we played a game in Port Moresby finished the game I think my team won by a point so it was you know most brutal game I've ever been spear tackled on my head God didn't get sent off. He got he got uh, penalised for a high tackle. Yeah, the referee's getting a high tackle signal. <laughs> oh, they gave him a high five. Good tackle, yeah. man. <laughs> anyway, after the game, we're doing a lap. Got tackled again. I think the game's still going. Uh, this young fella's <laughs> stolen a bit off my foot. <laughs> well, you're doing the you're doing the victory I'm waiting, lap. I'm waiting waiting to the crowd. Some guys chopped it down. Minute, I'm, I'm on the ground. He stole a bit off my foot. <laughs> I got back up and he's standing there waiting for the other boot. I was like, mate, now give me my boot back. And he's like screaming for the other boot. I look around and there's buddy four coppers running with big bamboo sticks just chasing <laughs> after him. And he's like, go, give me the boot, give me the boot. So I pulled off the other boot, gave him the boot. He shot off. They went straight past me and then chased him. He jumped a few fences. I don't know if he made it or not. He probably, probably ended up in the bloody hospital. He, he should have stole some P55s. He could have yeah. ran faster. Anyway, I did the rest of the lap in my socks. <laughs> That's a, every every uh, league player. The story that comes out of PUBG because that's a national sport. Like rugby league, the only the, country, the yeah. only country in the world that's a national sport, yeah. and they froth on their stars. Don't yeah, they, they like, do. Yeah, I imagine who the biggest star at that time or Papua New Guinea one would have been. Um, uh, what who was the five eight? Um, Stanley Guinness. Stanley Guinness. Yeah, yeah, he would. I, I imagine he couldn't walk, or he could walk down the street and just be walking on like, uh, like pe- just people jumping in puddles and walk across <laughs> my back. Well, that's how much, much. hero he sort yeah, of. Yeah, he so. could do whatever he wanted. Yeah, mate, he was. Uh, I got to play with Stanley as um, you know, an honour to play with guys like that. Um, Johnny Wilshire got to play with Johnny Wilshire. Marcus Byer played a uh, game with Marcus Byer. Who did he play for? Played for Melbourne. Melbourne, that's right. Melbourne, yes. Yeah, yeah. Playing with guys like that's you know absolutely incredible experience. But yeah, they're they're pretty wild in Papua New Guinea. But you know, I love it. So 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 when you uh, played Australia, yep. So you were playing some of your heroes, right? Most absolutely, yeah. Like <laughs> who's got game, mate? We were, I was playing second row pretty much the whole tournament, and then we played the Aussies was our last game. Because that's a big responsibility as, as well, being a forward against. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's a, that's a lot of yeah. weight on your shoulders. Well, I, well, I come off, um, I come off for a spell, and like every game I was like, like total. I was so tired. 
I was buggered. Come off for a spell. One of our front rowers got injured, so like, Nighty go on front row. I was like, we're playing Australia, you know. I'm going on front row. <laughs> not playing Buddy St. Clair. So, <laughs> like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah. we're not on the front row. As soon as we, I went on, we scored. So everyone's cheering high five. I'm thinking, shit, they're going to kick off. It's coming to me for sure. <laughs> sure enough, I'm sitting there waiting. Ball, boom, straight up over my head. I'm thinking, shit. Get the ball, run down. It's like Steve Price, Craig Fitzgibbon, uh, Scott Prince, Brent Date, the Wolfman, <laughs> all charged down wanted the smash pin. So, I don't know what to do. I just ran back at him. So. <laughs> Turn around and Did you give, give, him your, give him your boots? And <laughs> yeah. Hey, take this. Yeah, I was like an under six ran around and scored a try on my own post. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so who who was like one of the hardest hitters? Who was a uh, who was um, you, you go? Oh, okay, I I, I understand where you're playing first grade. You're you're a killer. <laughs> yeah, you're a dead set Honestly, killer. Honestly, the 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 thing I was probably impressed by the most was the professionalism of them. So we were, I mean, they were always going to beat us. Um, we before the game, Lamy Adrian Lamy was a coach, and he just said, just go out and just be do your country proud, basically. You know, um, play your heart out, and we did. Um, we got beat, I think, 40 to 6, something thereabouts. But every try they scored, they switched straight back on, get get to a kick, and Scott Prince just barking orders at them. I thought that's why they're playing first grade because yeah. that competitive edge that they had, yeah. um, even when, you know, when you're young, when you play a, a side that you know you're going to beat, you sort of muck around with your mates. Mm-hmm. I think that was the difference. That's what I really respected. Um, but, yeah, there was some big boys and they hit pretty hard, so... True professionals of the game. Yeah. Does, how, does any of that stuff you take from league go across any actual sort of day to day life now, or that sort of? Yeah, I think so. I think like their their experiences that you know will like stay with me forever. But I think you know I think I learned early. You know, I was never the best player. I was, I was handy, but I was never a out of this world player. But I learned early the power of hard work um, and what I could get out of it. And I, I still use that now. I know that if I put an effort into whatever I'm doing, I'm going to get benefits. I'm a huge believer of what you put into the universe, you're going to get back out. Um, and I learned that very early from when I was uh, playing footy. Um, so, you know, I'm forever grateful for that. And um, I mean, I still use it with my films. I, You know, when I'm not working on uh, bigger shows, I'm working on my own films and I'm not getting paid for that stuff. But I know that eventually it's going to get me to a point where I'm, probably can get paid for it mm. and then I'll be getting paid to do what I love what so yeah. mm. and that's the, that's the attitude you need you mm. need that like you need to be strong mentally because like starting out in, in a creative field what you're doing like that's hard you have some dark moments where you're like shit mm. there'd be very yeah. few people that yeah, go into a creative field music film writing whatever acting then you straight out the back get someone just goes you know what? Uh, you're really good at this, and here's here's your check for a million dollars and an easy lifestyle. I, know. I, I yeah. think it's a lot of two minute noodles and do- <laughs> dossing on people's couches and just getting yeah. getting by. But I think I mean anybody who's who wants to do it, you really have to embrace it as well. I mean the process that we're going through with film. Um, I mean we never expected to to pick up an award for breaking ice. We wanted to make the film first and foremost because we felt it was a pertinent issue. And because we wanted, I had mates that we wanted to uh, have a collaboration on. We just wanted to make film. That was it. At the end of the day, we wanted, we're passionate about what we're doing. It didn't matter what come of it. And I think that's why we won an award because we were able to do it without thinking. Well, you're thinking of the. There was yeah. no money involved. Yeah. We didn't care about money. There's nothing involved in that. So I think anybody who's looking to do it, definitely just embrace you know, the two-minute noodles and the rest of it because that's a part of it. That's what you're going to look back on and smile. Yeah. Later on in mentors in the, like, have people you've learned off or, and stuff that, uh, I guess, it, you, I know you work on other shows as you've, you've said, you've been a sort of best boy and a runner and a, all that. Any sort of big shows and people that you've sort of just watched and gone, oh, I can imitate that because, I guess, one, that's hard work, but you're picking up sort of some... Some things along the way, yeah, for sure. And I think, if so, what what shows were they on? I think um, uh, with any set, everything's different all the time. Um, so look, a lot of uh, camera guys and uh, you know people with different skills that I'll try to um, not model myself on, but just um, you know try to learn from them. I, I try not to model myself on one person, um, but I think more than anything, the guys that I work with first. Um, so Heath Davis is a um, another painter filmmaker. I've learned plenty of him. Um, and uh, his cinematographer, Chris Bland, uh, who is a Springwood boy. What's in- a cinematographer do? So a cinematographer will um, 
essentially that what you see on camera he is responsible for that so like just vi- visual he's the visual uh, mastermind yeah. um, so the director will tell him how he wants the story to look and he will make it look that way basically Sick. so for a director it's it's not so much being able to operate a camera it's more being articulate and being able to get yeah. you, what's in your Explain head onto a screen um, yeah. so yeah guys like that and watching them work is you know is next level so it's I don't know every 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 show I work on, every film I work on, whether it's commercial, um, you know, a corporate job, is, is something always to learn, always. And I think that's what I enjoy about it. It's, I feel like I'm on this enormous mountain, but I don't really want it to end. I don't want yeah. it to be a top because I'm enjoying it so much. So, yeah. Would you would you make like uh, what's your goal? Like, do you want to kind of make more, um, you know, feature length, or do you, do you enjoy the documentaries, the stories? Yeah, I think I think at the moment my adult film. No. Yeah, well, well, that's what my dad said when I first I said, Dad, I'm going into films. Are you making pornos? So, well, not yet, but I'll let you know. <laughs> but you um, bet your dad's dropped, got rid of his job. He's just a runner yeah, on your films now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said he empty as many bins as I need. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think at the moment documentaries is really standing out to me, but. You know, I want it to be a fluid thing. I don't really want to pigeonhole myself. Yeah. I want to be able to, you know, put myself right across the board. I mean, I enjoy writing and I enjoy uh, narrative films of all sorts. Um, documentaries kind of has a grasp on me at the moment. I'm enjoying that. Um, but, you, you know... Watch, you watch them quite often yourself? I watch them religiously. Oh, same, Love yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. It's just... I think, I mean, even when you watch a narrative film, if it comes up at the start, this is based on a true story. Yeah, I think this is rather, sick. Yeah, this is going to be yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's because, you know, that empathy you feel for the protagonist you know this dude someone actually went through this and i think that has the element in a documentary mm-hmm. um and, so, and a lot of the time with documentaries it's hasn't just happened it's happening at the moment it's still happening uh, in the world so yeah um i'm really enjoying that and um but there again there's there's no there's no pinnacle there's no um one goal that i want to get to i'm just gonna just try to you know write it out and just enjoy it for what it is i suppose yeah. so. do you have to be pretty uh, diligent to treat it like do you go okay on monday through friday for two hours a day i'm writing you know or, or coming up with ideas or stuff like that because I, I imagine especially it's very self-driven obviously the industry so you, you'd have to be have a lot of i guess I, I, you got dedication because you obviously love the job but do you sit down and go i want to write between you know uh sort of two hours every day or force myself to write so I can get some good stuff out of it or do you just wait for an idea to come and then you go there's my idea there's something to it let's uh, delve a bit deeper into that yeah I think it comes and goes it's, it's certainly not structured um, it won't it won't be like um, you know Monday three o'clock let's do writing and, and guys probably operate like that but um, at the moment I just if I have an idea I'll sort of expand on it and write a little bit if it keeps coming to me I'll keep writing it there's a few you know few short films that I've um, you know, got a fair way through, and so I sort of just want to have time. I work on them, whatnot. But at the moment, with the documentary we're working on now, um, it, it kind of it was a lot, at the start it was a lot of research. So I knew I had the research. So when I had the time away from other gigs, I was in my office and I was my head in the books. I was reading, uh, you know, you know, thick books and uh, pieces and uh, researching on the internet. So that was, I guess, you know, on a weekend, I think, okay, I've got. But I don't go back to work till Thursday, so Monday through to Wednesday, I'm just going to be researching my ass off, and that's what I did. And that was sort of that point of it. And then when we got to the point of shooting, then I'd collaborate with the boys in Melbourne. I'd say, okay, we're ready to shoot. I'm ready to, you know, start piecing together a story. What do we do? And I'll say, well, okay, let's shoot on this day. And then they'll start putting in the ball in motion down there. So I don't know, mate. It's not really structured for me, but it's um, it sort of comes and goes when it needs to happen. I'll, I'll tackle it as it comes, I suppose. But um, I certainly enjoy um, when I get a, a spare time and I can write or I can, um, you know, just put my head in the books and just do nothing but film, I suppose. So it'd be, I, I imagine for me personally, it'd be super frustrating having this idea and you're always, by the sounds of it, you're waiting on sort of, especially because a lot of it's self-funded and stuff like that, you're always waiting for funding to get to that next bit, to shoot that next bit. Or you know, get enough money to, I guess, even fly 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 gear and stuff down to Melbourne. Yeah, you know, where you did your last uh, little bit of shot down there. Like, yeah, that must be a frustrating sort of thing. You've got this this thing you want to get out there, 
and you're sort of you're you're not tied down by ideas or time. You're tied down by finance, finances, yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. So in order to make that movie, you've got to learn some other creative ways to make money. Hundred percent. Yeah. So that should be like part of a course of filmmakers' course. Hey guys, this is this is yeah. how you set up. Yeah. You know, this is some possible ways to to raise funds. My hundred percent. And um, the film that's going to be shot locally, Book Week, which uh, is Heath Davis's film. That I'm, of um, helping him get up and running too. That's exactly the same thing. It's an yeah. independent film, and that's why independent films are, are so different. But because they don't have the backing of a studio where people can say, "Okay, let's blow up a car." It's, you know, yeah. Look, yeah. Well, this is a documentary. Don't worry, just blow it up anyway. So. <laughs> but you know, you have to you have to navigate the um, filmmaking process rather than just making the film itself. And uh, one thing I did learn early is um, to be creative in film, you really need to have your ducks lined up. You can't just go get a camera get two actors and give them some line get them to kiss or something and have it be an awesome film it just will be shit you have to yeah. be able to line your ducks up get all those people with the different ideas and the different uh, levels of expertise get them into a room yeah. you know get those juices flowing and and sort of build from that I suppose and yeah. say you know we can only shoot at this part on this day or whatever and yeah. okay we have to do it then and yeah, you know, there's a lot to it Dude. Back in the day when, we, when I was playing music when, whenever we'd uh, film a, do a film clip that's exactly what we'll do. We'll get. You've got a camera. Awesome. Okay, you stand there and you look like you're emotional. Okay, was that good? Yeah, it was good. Man. <laughs> like it was. It was novice hour, but it. But it was still like from the first one we made, like to the last one. Like you do. You do learn. Learn along the way, but the the planning definitely wasn't yeah, there. Like that's good though. I mean, that's how it works. I mean, even even uh, young kids who are trying to get into music for them to just go into a garage and just sound shit that's it. it's important for them yeah. to do that because that's part of the growth that's right? part of the learning process 100%. go out and stink it up for a little bit yeah 100% yeah, <laughs> yeah it's man. with anything so it's with book week that one you were just talking about that's been crowdfunded because I've seen that out in I think I saw Andrew Johns have something on social media talking about sort of book week and yeah yeah and so you seem to have got a lot of, and there was someone else uh I think it might have been some guys on the grill team or something, but it, you seem to have got a few sort of uh, influential people sort of spruiking that one to get some backing behind it. Yeah. How did, how did you, what did you just, did you just write him an email and say, hey, Joey, I, I loved you in the 97 grand final. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm Darren Albert. Sing Albert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, say something good for me. Tell yeah. me about the book you've never read. It's weird. That's exactly what we said. No, we didn't. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that that kind of comes back to um, you know Heath's last film broke, which which is what I worked on. Right, yeah. So he was so he broke was a lot of legs, broke, and it? and you know he's got um, you know he's mates with uh, MG and a few people, and it's the same thing as what we're going through at the minute, but on a bigger scale. So he he have won awards. He's won awards internationally for broke, and people will sort of sit up and say, okay, this guy can make a film. It's worth put, okay, worth investing into. Not just their money, but it's worth investing their time. Yeah. Um, so we can say you know we're going to give something back and. Um, and so uh, that's what that process is, and then it's still hard on that level anyway. So, so what's your what's your involvement in Book Week? Are you a producer on that one? Yeah, I'm producing that one. It's it's a little difficult at the moment because the, my documentary is a bit time precious. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to juggle, mm-hmm. and as well as you know, work on other sets and get money so I can you know put food on the table. Um, but um, again, I mean, I wouldn't change it. I love it so much that I'm mean, doing it. I'll do it without pay anyway. So, do you say time precious because obviously the age of the the subjects I guess yep, involved absolutely. in that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we we've had one chat with Norm Furness, who was a soldier. Um, the next chat will be in Sydney with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was uh, the whole research was based around getting my head around what actually happened. So I could piece together and have a conversation with those guys and have it, get it on camera, do their interviews. So we're one interview down. We're going to have another interview, um, which we may do more later. But they'll the they'll the um that's really what we need to get down. The rest we can sort of build around it. But, but I, again, I'd like to have a completed film with those guys being able to see it. So, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you got a time time period on on that one? Uh, not at the moment, but we're going to. Um, hopefully, have a screening for Breaking Ice in uh, Sydney. Yep, and we're going to have um, we're going to piece together a bit of a sizzle for the next film. Have a bit of a launch, um, maybe raise a bit of coin, um, and hopefully get to Papua New Guinea at some point next year. Um, and then maybe end of next year, I think we might have um, something to piece together. Hopefully, so. So going to Papua New Guinea, 
it's pretty dangerous over there. Is that right? If I'm right in saying that, like, yeah. And you're filming out there, like it's a, it is, it's, it's, yeah, man, absolutely. We need. So you got to take like security precautions what for you, all what, that stuff because you're carrying. What do you mean it's dangerous? Well, look, it's. I mean, it's just. Um, it's not a place where you would just go um, willy nilly. Like it's not a not a holiday destination. I mean, there's a lot of tourism there, but it's adventure yeah. tourism. So you know, hiking yeah. and diving and yeah. and deep sea fishing and that sort of thing. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's just, I think it's, I don't want to use the word primitive because it's not, because, you know, they know what they're doing, but it's... Um, but that, that culture that's existed for thousands of years is still alive. Absolutely. It's very much so. I've been integrated into the culture that's there today. And, yeah. um, um, you know, it's just, I think it's a very different world to what we used to in Sydney. Is is that religious like, are there, is there any religion? Yeah, God, yeah. There's a lot of um, Christianity there. Yeah. Um, and they're quite superstitious. But it's, um, I don't know, they're just, um, there's a lot of guys who don't have much. So yeah. when they see an opportunity, they will take it. Yeah. Um, I can't really blame them for that. But, you know, mm-hmm. for people traveling there, it's it's wise to be mindful of where you are. Okay. And so we would, we'll be doing that. I mean, I have a few mates in um, Rabau where we plan to go in New Guinea mm. um, so yeah we touch and base with them before we get there you know I'm not saying that we're going to go over there and you know get shot up or anything like that but it's just wise to be mindful of where we are is so. it like um, when, when you talk about the culture is a like you know cultural dance I'm, I'm thinking that um, like Polynesian kind of you know th- that exists in so many Polynesian kind of islands and whatnot like is it is there a haka or is it like and did you have to learn the haka there's not a haka because um, so Papua New Guineans uh, Melanesian, which is slightly different from Polynesian. Ah, sorry, dude. Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of like Fiji, Vanuatu, yeah. Papua New Guinea. They're sort of one collective group. Yeah. And then Polynesia, Samoa, Tonga, Cook Islands, the rest. Ah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But they have dances. Yeah, definitely. Didn't have a haka, but um, um, they have like a they had a bit of a tribal war cry that we did before games. Sick. Sort of that fired us up a little bit. Um, and it, actually, when I played the game, the Origin game, the boys who lived inside New Guinea were doing it before the game, and I didn't want to be there at all, to be honest. I wanted to Shoot go home. Yourself. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, there was there's different um, uh, different cultures. There's de- definitely dancers, and you yeah. know, they're very colourful, and um, the mud men, and um, yeah, face painting and all that stuff. So that like the haka, I reckon that's so good. Or whether or whether it be like a war dance, because if you got all those nerves running through your body before a game, like I just want to scream loud and like get get this out, you know. Did yeah. you see that? Um, it was I think it was another twenties game where it was Australia versus New Zealand, and the New Zealand the young under twenties did the haka and got right in the Australian's face, and then it just started turning into this massive brawl before the game had even started. That's why they've got that rule now. You got to be I think it's fifteen twenty meters away from the opposition. Like you can't advance the war cry, or the war dance, or the haka, or whatever it is, yeah. because of there was like especially when you've got like uh, the Cook Islands and Tonga and they're doing their, their, their war cry or their haka at the same time and they're, they're advancing towards each other. <laughs> yeah. And like some of them like have uh, like the, uh, I guess the, I don't know what, you call, what you'd call them, but they're not players, but they're out there, they're, they're elders or something yeah. with spears and stuff. That's yeah. pretty dangerous. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's actually creating what, I guess, a war, war cry or a war dance or a haka is for, for war, and they're going at it. Yeah, So and, and which is great if you're going to play rugby league, but what if it's before an ice skating thing? Like, what, when do they not do that? When does when oh. is it not appropriate to do a haka? Not like and synchronized swimming. Synchronized swimming. Ah! Well, it's part of the swim. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see that, like before darts. Is there a haka there? There should be. There, there should, should be. Yeah. <laughs> darts is a sport of the people. Have you seen this, the dart games in like the UK? Or even when they, I think they had the national darts comp in Sydney and it was at, um, what's, a, what's a place at uh, Luna, Luna Park? Uh, Luna Park, uh, the, the Big Top. The Big Top. And it was in there. So they're like selling out like... This this figure is a one hundred percent backed by no study at Just all. Just make it up, go for like it. Like fifty thousand people in the darts competition. <laughs> I think they even had it at the MCG or something too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like they're full sports stars. And they're sports stars, but they can have a beer while they're performing. Yeah, that's like, the best kind of sport, right? Yeah, that's amazing. That and lawn bowls. And what's, lawn- what's the best thing about it? You can have a beer while you're actually doing it, and a smoke if you really want one. <laughs> yeah, that's. Well, is it? Was it? Wasn't there a golfer who used to? Um, 
like he was drinking, smoking. John Daly was John it? John Daly, yeah. yeah. And he and he used to drink because I've always done it this way. I'm on my best game. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, well he pissed. reckoned he could only hit it straight with a smoke in his mouth. Like he goes, if I take my smoke out, I don't hit it more straight. <laughs> that's what. That's how <laughs> I began smoking. <laughs> a couple of, yeah. ten years ago. And you still hitting the ball straight? <laughs> no, because <laughs> I quit. So you've, oh, dude. So there's there's a bunch of stuff you've got coming out. Uh, Obviously, with with breaking ice, we'll give that a definite shout out uh, when you're doing a screening. So, will that be like a screening at like, um, you know, the George Street sort of Hoyts or at Dendi Cinemas or? No, nah, it'll be more like a hall. A like hall, a, and you'll, yeah. you'll hire a sort of hall. It's similar yeah. to, I guess, uh, what uh, Simon Williams did with um, his first film, uh, Breath. At- Breathless. Breathless at, yeah. at, yeah, yeah. at the Motorvale yeah, Hotel yeah, yeah. or whatever yeah. it was. We're going to aim for a, um, something like thereabouts. It's hard to be the short uh, film because it goes for 12 minutes. So we're going to try to piece together a sizzle for the next film mm-hmm. and then in between have have a, a few Q&A, chats. Q&A yeah, or something like that. We'll talk about the drug. We'll talk about the mm-hmm. um, you know the implications of uh, of taking ice. and We can host a live podcast. 100%. Everyone. Yeah, 100%. And, um, why not? Let's do it. and chat about it. Mm. Yeah, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we just it's about just uh, creating word and getting getting people aware of what we're doing, I suppose. And I mean, if we can get any coin out of it, would awesome. It be good? I, it I imagine it's a great great opportunity to crowdfund when you're doing yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And not, not that this isn't a, uh, I guess, an idea session no. uh, for people listening, but you, you, I imagine that's a good one to fund the next film. Yep. Yeah, um, and then you know, because people are getting a, at the end of the day, they're getting a night of entertainment. They're going out and watching, yeah, of course. watching yeah. an award-winning sort of documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I like how you're doing the talk before, dude. It's so noble, like, to, and to really help pe- change people's life. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a drug that's obviously causing issues. Um, um, and I mean, I made the film a couple of years ago now, and I remember thinking then, just I really want to get this film out because it's such an issue now. Tears down the track, it's still as big an issue as what it was then. Um, so, yeah, I think the more people that can... And as I said, it's not so much about telling people how to live their lives. I don't want to do that. But it's just about highlighting the fact that people can have a life without that crap. And as I said, you know, I lost uh, you know my childhood best mate six months ago. And that was directly um, linked to um, the drug. And the more people that don't do that, the better. Yeah. So I have uh, no qualms in talking about it at all. So. Well said, dude. Well said. It's pretty powerful. Um, yeah, powerful friggin' sort of, I guess, a drive with that happened during the actual filming of or while you're piecing together the actual documentary too, to sort of push to get that yeah. sort of uh, story out there. Yeah, it did. It, it kind of uh, rattled me a little bit because I was making a story and, you know, trying to um, uh, get the word in. I felt like I missed the mark with my own mate. But then yeah. you're living that sort of, I guess, yeah. then you're now living that sort of story yeah, that you're, you're yeah. doing a cautionary tale, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So, yeah, I mean, as I said, the more people that can see it and get something out of it, the better. And um, at the same time, we'll launch the next film. Which so is- does it screen Does it screen anywhere, the Breaking Ice? Can people go and find it on YouTube? Can they find it on, uh, can they, iTunes, can they, is there, there's somewhere for anyone listening that goes, oh, fuck, I want to li- watch that film. Can they go out and find that? somewhere not at the moment so we're going to have a private screening in sydney and then we're going to put up a link so once that screening's out then it'll be available yeah, to yeah. to everyone is that going in any other sort of do you with film festivals and you, you'll be able to explain this obviously do you pitch it to sundance or cairns or uh trop fest or whatever or do they come come to you and go i know you've got got a documentary out there now we want want you to sort of show it's a bit of, bit of both like those sort of festivals are sort of a bit way over my head at the moment but it's essentially just applying for festivals and you pay a fee um you can get accepted you cannot you just have to lose so it you pay a, mm. you pay a fee for the i guess uh, for them to view and decide yes, if they're going to absolutely. Put, put it in and then you go into the festival to um then you screen at the festival and then from that you might win uh, a prize or you know an award from that so um but then you know only today i um, from that award i've had a couple of people come to us and say do you want to screen at our festival um which is why we haven't been able to put up a link yet because because you it's going out it needs festivals. to be exclusive yeah. to the festival yeah. because it's just on them do you, you have know, a, like a, an agent who tries to shop it to like abc or or tv like is that is that a big goal is that, that that um uh that can happen definitely but that agents me so yeah. I just it's just about um, uh, chatting to the right people, yeah, and um, just getting feedback as well. They might say no, 
Um, we, we won't because of whatever reasons, but mm-hmm. um, if they list A, B, and C, this is why, then I could, you know, that's, I'm still learning from that anyway, mm-hmm. so. Do you look at movies a different light now? Like, what are your, what are your, what are your childhood, what are, you, what are your faves? And when you come back and look and go, this was actually a well-made um, piece of film. It's funny, I watch a lot of films now, I watch it once and I'll watch it again without any sound on because I watch how they uh, tell the story through pictures. Um, it's just like a little thing that I do, but... That's sick. I've never um, thought of doing that. Um, but... Did you know? I mean, I was a '90s kid. I grew up with Arnold Schwarzenegger, so old school action adventure movie. I can't go past, you know, Predator. Oh, you know, yeah, Dylan, that son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> Dude, um, that handshake's the best. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I didn't grow up watching Chocolat, so they're the films that <laughs> that resonate with me. But um, you know, I still watch a lot of old school films, and I watch I watch old westerns now, and you know. You know, Korean black and white films. I just, you know, I'm really immersed in it now. I love it. Yeah. So. With documentaries, you got a favourite doco that's out there. Obviously, that being dude, or, a, or one you'd you th- that's uh, worth dude, a watch. There's, there's, um, there's plenty on Netflix actually. Um, Searching for the Sugar Man. Um, yeah, that's a great one. Man on is. Man on Wire is a great documentary. Uh, Grizzly, uh, Grizzly Man, Happy People, Winner Hurts All uh, is that filmmaker. Grizzly Man's a fantastic film. Um, and it's funny, we're just watching different styles of films. There's no blueprint. There's no um, black and white how to do it. It's just mm-hmm. such a fluid thing to do. So, um, yeah, there's plenty. But you can you can find little gems that have really been seen mm-hmm. um, and they're just like they're cinematic gold. So um, I'm still learning that process. I'm still very much at the start of my career, hopefully. So I love those Gonzo-style ones as well with the, I guess, the document. To, although he's actually in the documentary, sort of, I guess, more like a correspondent, like a Michael yeah. Moore kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah. Like the, Would you ever get in front of the camera? Like, well, for it's funny. Like, even the you definitely got the face for it. Even dude. the next one, yeah, <laughs> just the back of my head. Um, <laughs> just yeah, it's an Oral B commercial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, even the next film, it's there's a part where we want to get to uh, in New Guinea that. Uh, we want to shoot because it's important where, where the guys eventually escaped some of them and they yeah. came down the straight through the island and the mainland. We want to be able to um, shoot that, but we don't, you know, you can't just have it on pictures without a point of reference. So you sort of need someone in it. So the possibility that we may need to get in front of the cameras. So would you explain what's going on or do you put, you know, those, I guess, what are they called where you run a sort of act? A live action sort of sequence through what happened, and so you got actors retelling this a reenactment. This re-enactment. Yeah, you do reenactment. Exactly what it is. <laughs> that, that, that blows the budget out quite a bit. So it's as another thing to like, it's another element. But I think uh, I have learnt, um, you know, through being through advice and just um, making films that we try to stay as wide as possible to to give ourselves the options for yeah. when we go to the edit room we're not missing anything mm-hmm. um so then we can cut it down so i think we'll sort of have that approach and then when we get to um when we start cutting then we can really I know, get together a story so yeah so it's possible possible do, do you see actors like i um here's a here's a story i i was actually in a film jabs um and uh, it was a documentary, and it was on Edward um, Goosens. He's the guy who's the architect for the um, the Opera House, right? Yeah, yeah. And the scene that um, because he was a little funky, um, he had a, a partner, and she was into witchery and whatnot. And they used to, um, you know, take drugs and get real freaky. So there was a reenactment in the scene in the movie. And guess who played Edward getting freaky? So it wasn't a big <laughs> With- big stretch away from your normal day to day life. Did they just film you and go, can we just actually use that footage in this movie? And I thought, who are the creeps in the corner watching this? Because it was with my wife, my now, my wife or girlfriend back then. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, she had a hooters out. <laughs> Where can we find this? Art. But it's all for art. Yeah, it was for art. It was like so weird. It's like, you're so vulnerable. Like, have, yeah. have you seen much, like, you know, with actors and you know and acting and, and, and switching on like that yeah, it's such dude. a like a like I'm it's such a I don't know I look up to that it's like how people can just go alright I'm acting and yeah you know what I mean like and, and make themselves well, even that in itself is an art form and um, I have a lot more respect for actors having worked on a few films and they have their different styles you have um, you know method acting where people will come in on set not cameras rolling and they'll be in character and that's weird and you have to talk to them as their character no and there's other people that will just flick a switch as soon as they say action and it's just different styles i've been i don't know how true it is but i've heard um guys like um 
uh, Guy Pearce, I think, um, will get therapy after his after his films because he gets that deep. Immersed into it. I've heard that yes, with that Heath deep. Ledger as yeah. well. Like he was oh my just lost yeah. himself into his character yeah. so, yeah. so deeply he needed to have therapy to get out of sort yeah. of yeah, playing yeah. That, that sort of role or that guy. Yeah, yeah. So, I That's mean, insane. Yeah, wow. it's, yeah, I mean, it's that's what I mean. It's it's the lengths that people go to, and they loved doing that. I couldn't act. I mean, you know, I've, I've had time in front of the camera doing bits and pieces, but not like that. It's, you know, yeah. different levels. So. so you'd had to be... Who was that guy in uh, Police Academy, the crazy one, who, like, start the cars by biting the wires with his teeth? Like oh, Bobcat. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. <laughs> That'd be hard to be a method actor and have to do that role constantly. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Ferris Durrani, he uh, tells a story of... We're talking about that with acting. He was in one of his first sort of, I, th- I think it might have been the Potato Factory or something. It was his first big sort of uh, big role, and it was a like a three part miniseries on national TV. And it had like Lisa McCune and Gary Sweet, and you know had these people. And I'm sexy pre- as Gary, pretty sure. And he had to cry in this one scene, right? So he's he's working himself up, thinking of the most saddest thing in the world, and he goes like I'm just doing all this, trying to get himself to cry, and he's doing this, and he walks around the corner and Gary Sweet's in there just shooting uh, like uh, fake tears into his eyes. Ferris has spent like half an hour warming himself up to actually make himself cry, like pulling the hairs out of his legs and thinking, of, thinking about the worst thing ever. And he goes, mate, just put these in your eyes. He's <laughs> like, thanks, Gary. That's yeah, the old leg, pulled the leg out. Of it. I, you ever have those like in the middle of the day where like if I'm feeling really tired and I'm trying to hide yawns and I'm trying to not look, look like I'm not listening to someone I pull my leg hairs to try and stay awake so you, you cut a hole in your pocket and put some tweezers down there and just pull in your leg hairs yeah. you better be pulling out leg hairs I don't know what that is you're pulling out pretty fast yeah <laughs> So, dudes, uh, Naughty, thank you very much for Dude, coming in. Yeah, we wish you all the best in your journey. This boys. sounds so exciting. We'll yeah. put a, we'll put a, some links up to Breaking Ice um, and the new film, and when when you're up to doing that uh, a showing of the film, we'll we'll promote it on here, and we'll, we'll put some links up on the Facebook page. Dudes, jump on iTunes, give us some reviews, subscribe. That all helps. Um, thank you again to Cockfighters Ghost uh, for 2014 Shiraz. Uh, you're delicious. Um, <laughs> Breaking Ice can be found sort of everywhere once it comes out. We'll, we'll put those up again. Nighty, thank you, Fire Legend. Yeah, we're out. Peace.